This is The Guardian. Carruthers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Have you stuck your wall chart up yet? England, USA, Australia, Spain? Who are you rooting for? And is the shirt of your favourite team washed and ready to be worn for the next four weeks? Get ready to forensically go through your complete guide to the 2023 Women's World Cup. There is so much to discuss. Plus, we'll take your questions. All the glory details are right here for you on today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and proud partner of the England teams. Search Google Store to find out more. Susie Rack, g'day mate. How's Australia? G'day. It's all right actually. Bonza, should I say that? Do you know what? In the Euros, we had bingo, didn't we, of stuff that you shouldn't say. And I'm already banning, having having literally just, it tripped off my lips a second ago. I'm already going to ban G'day. I don't mind Bonza so much, but I think G'day should be totally banned. Should we, should we do that? I think I've started every single email with it. But yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Marva Creel, what have you been up to? I haven't seen you for ages. I know, it's been a while, just enjoying a Everton-free summer and um, getting ready for the World Cup. Yeah, much less stressful. Now you can get stressed about the Lionesses <laughs> instead and uh, their lack of goal-scoring prowess at the moment. Uh, Robin Cowan, I have an image of you surrounded by your commentator prep notes everywhere. What's the most interesting nugget you've come up with so far? Oh, no prep on that at all, is there? I am that gif of, is it Matt Damon with the you know the the numbers just floating <laughs> through. It's just that's me. It's just too like much. Like a at computer. The it's all it's all in there. This is yeah. This is this is pre A levels. It's all in there. It just needs to be regurgitated <laughs> at the appropriate moment. So I'm sure it will. I'll drop some gems in there as we progress. <laughs> I love it. People almost need to press the on button, right? I'm in commentary mode now. Now they're exactly. all going to come out. Okay, listen. We need to crack on because we have so much to get through, obviously. We're going to be biased. I'm sorry, anybody listening outside of uh, of the UK. But we're going to start with Group D, which sees the European champions, England, up against former runners-up, China, Denmark, and then the debutants, Haiti, as well. Susie, you've been in and around the Lionesses' camp for the last week or so. What's Oh, God. This Here we go, an age-old question. What's the mood like coming into the tournament? <laughs> Uh, pretty chill. I mean, like, it's impossible to not be on the Sunshine Coast and, like, be chill because it's just the most relaxed place. So, yeah, England's hotel up there was so, so nice, you know, surrounded by lakes right on the beach, kangaroos hopping around on the grass just, like, by the hotel, bin dipper birds with their, like, really long beaks, like, just waddling about. We've seen them, you know, sort of cycling up the road and stuff, going out on little bike trips. They went whale watching. So they've had a blast. And training has looked really fun too. Um, and they've said it's been quite fun, particularly after the day after um, they played the Canada behind closed doors game as well. They were just playing loads of games. So they did like, you know, obviously some harder stuff, a bit of running, that kind of thing. But then they were, yeah, basically playing loads of ball-related games and it just looked like a blast. And they said it was great to be able to, you know, have a more relaxed session after a match day but yeah they seem good and like the goals haven't been going in but they don't seem to be too worried about that they seem pretty confident because they're still creating chances so it's a nice vibe Mm, remind me again why I chose to stay behind uh, back in the UK and not go out to Oz. Questioning my life decisions, as always. Listen, there's so many high-profile injuries. We know about them all. Marva, no Leah Williamson, no Beth Mead, no Frank Kirby. We've had quite a while to get used to that now. And we've obviously seen them in action without those players. But what should our realistic expectations be for how far this England side can actually go? I think it's it's so difficult because even our our route is not easy. It is we're on the hard side of the draw, like for sure. So the fact that you know we could win our group, and depending on what happens in the other group, could play Australia in in the round of sixteen or Canada, who are a very defensive team and have got a great defensive backline. And actually, I think it's their strong suit compared to the rest of their team. 
and we're a team that currently aren't scoring. So it's all going to depend on kind of what happens with with those rounds, really. It's one of those where I could see us getting through to like the semi-finals, the final, but I could also see us just going out in the, the round of 16 and then it being a really disappointing tournament. But I feel like having Haiti as the first game means we we should sort of get our, our, you know, scoring boots on, you'd hope. And if we don't, then I think that's a very big sign for the rest of the tournament. And yeah, I think going into the tournament, we've kind of got our starting 11, but it, there's still a few a few pieces that aren't quite there. Obviously, Millie Bright as well, if she's going to start, I think will make a massive difference. But the fact that she hasn't played at all isn't particularly a good sign. So there's a lot of pieces still to put together, really, to, to know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think they had rotating subs in that behind closed doors game against Canada, didn't they? And she did play that. So I don't know how many minutes she's played, but playing half an hour to 45 minutes is vastly different to playing 90, isn't it? And and Robin, as, as Marva says, having Haiti as the first game can hopefully only be a positive thing. I hate the fact that we've turned into slight pessimists when it comes to this England side, having been so optimistic for so long. But the game kicks off on Saturday, 10.30 kickoff for those of you following in the UK. Wish Marva a happy birthday, by the way. She's going to be at Box Park. She's trying to find party (laughs) friends and invite everyone she can to watch the Haiti game on her birthday. What do you think, Robin, are the key kind of team selection decisions that you want Serena Wiegmann to get right? Well, you know my thoughts on Serena Wiegmann. She gets everything right for me. I do not question Serena Wiegmann. I mean, it's the obvious ones, isn't it? I do think all of the injuries are huge misses and the fact that she kept with the same starting 11 throughout the Euros. Is she going to do that again? I'm sure she has the flexibility to perhaps make a change if she feels that that's needed. But yeah, it's just the fact that there's there's this sort of lack of clarity perhaps from us anyway I'm sure she feels very clear on what she wants to do just makes you just slightly more nervous but England didn't have a very easy road to the Euro final let's not forget you know Spain Sweden Germany and these games against Haiti and China are not going to be as easy as everyone perhaps thinks because they are very different opposition opposition they don't face very often and they all have a lot of strengths. Yes, obviously England should win. I think they should win every game in this. They really should and fairly comfortably. But I think they're going to be asked quite a lot of different questions. And that's going to be the thing, especially in that first game, how they're going to answer them. Because Haiti obviously have an incredible story and they're going to be fully motivated. And they have some extremely talented players as well. So do we remember... England were notoriously slow starters in pretty much every single game <laughs> at the Euros. Can't really afford to do that again. Um, they need to need to hit the ground running. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. Like I, in many ways, I think a lot of the focus has been on England's defensive weaknesses with those absences, and you know how many changes there are to back line with Rachel Daly moving into the centre forward position, and uh, obviously there being no Leah Millie being injured. But actually, I'm more worried about the. The lack of Frank Kirby <laughs> is the what I'm going to call it because no player plays like her. You can't replace her like for like. Ella Toon is a fabulous player, but she's not Frank Kirby, who is a real difference maker in games and finds the spaces and the passes when you're playing teams that are really difficult to break down. And I don't think we've got that anymore. And I think Leah is a loss in that respect too because she's so important to playing out from the back and through the middle like that, um, that we're going to be really heavily reliant on the wingers. That's the bit I'm most worried about in a sense in that, you know, I think Alex Green could do a great job. I think, I hope Millie Bright's going to be back. But that point of Frank Kirby is my big panic button. I get that. But I also think Kira Walsh can do that additional job. Look at the pass that she made for Ella Toome for the opening goal in the European Championship final in the first place. She can unlock defences very easily I know that's not her specific role but she can step into a kind of new role she's talked hasn't she on a number of occasions about the freedom that she's now given under Serena Wiegmann that I know it's not in a 10 position but she can step forward and and do something a little bit better whereas you've got Georgia Stanway I feel in the eight who can just do 
magical, magical things. And then that maybe gives a little bit additional for Ella Toon to kind of go that way. You're laughing at me, Susie. No, I was just saying, I was running through my head. I was going, you're right, you're right, we're going to win. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't take too much convincing, does it? I was going to go the opposite way and say the thing that worries me about Walsh, though, is that towards the end of the Euro, she was just getting marked out of the game because everyone started to realise how good she is. And this season that she's had at Barcelona now, like there's, there's no doubt about it. She's like our star player, essentially. And so I think she's going to have a tough one. But if she manages to, to warn everyone off, then I think she'll be our key player. I hope to believe that interview she gave with The Guardian. Um, shout out that she's got better because she's been at Barcelona this year. So I, I hopefully that she's managed to get better at not being marked out of games. I mean, I know we're going through all the injured players here, but I'm also, I was thinking actually Beth Mead's absence has been slightly underserved because Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly are fabulous wingers, but she had the goal scoring touch. And I don't think either of them are kind of as clinical. I mean, they can be, but I feel like they they do miss more than she did. Um, prime Beth Mead, you know, she she was on fire. Let's not, not forget that. No. Um, so, Your defence yeah. is terrified. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I, I, my other worry, like I know you said that you're less worried about defence, more about attack. I just still don't know who our solid centre-back pairing is. Is Serena Wiegmann going to pick if Millie Bright is fit enough? Alex Greenwood and Millie Bright. If so, I feel more comfortable Jess Carter is left back. I still think there are question marks over. If she decided to put Alex Greenwood back in the left back position and use Esme Morgan like she did against Portugal, is she experienced enough? You know, we know she's a fantastic player, but she struggled against Australia. Can she do it against the bigger teams? Or, you know, does she get the opportunity against the likes of Haiti to show what she could potentially do and grow into that role? That That's the bit that kind of, you know, I have the most question marks over. But let's talk about Denmark because they're arguably the, the toughest opposition in the group. Again, arguably. That's on Friday, the 28th of July. Do you think they're the hardest opponents, Marva? Yeah, I'd say so. I think um, they were... Almost quite hard done by in the Euros, actually. I thought they could have definitely got through against Spain. Um, definitely showed some quality. A little bit lacking in creativity um, sometimes, but obviously with a player like Harder, you never know what, what you're going to get. She can just produce something sublime, but then her injuries this season. So they're a bit up in the air. I'm really excited about Cool, actually. I think um, she's starting to really grow into it for Arsenal towards the end of the season. And I just think when you've got sort of two creative star players... There are a lot of other teams that might be more solid, but don't have that kind of spark factor. And I think just having sort of two very creative players can be all you need sometimes to at least get through to the, you know, the round of 16. So I would say that there are our toughest um, opponent in that group, but I think China could give us something as well. Yeah, we'll get to China in a second, but I couldn't quite believe that Denmark haven't qualified for a World Cup since 2007, which means this is actually Penilla Harder's first chance to shine on the world stage, which is quite incredible. And she's going to feel like she's got a point to prove, isn't she, Susie? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think the last World Cup, it was slightly political that they didn't qualify, right? It was that they forfeited a game against the Netherlands in, or was it? against someone else in protest over conditions and stuff and a dispute with the federation and then because they had conceded the points in that game it meant that they went into qualifying and then they lost out in qualifying so they should have been there in 2019 and it's kind of like I think not enough is made of that like being quite an admirable thing to do to like literally risk your your world cup place on principle like as a team as a collective I don't think we've really seen a huge number of teams do that, although more and more recently. So yeah, so in a way, like it's overdue that we're, we're seeing Panilla at a World Cup, and like it's, I would really, really like to see her in the knockout stage. Like that is what really excites me. Obviously, she's not quite got the team around her that is necessarily going to be able to perform once you hit the knockout stages, but she's always got the capacity to do something really, really special and quite incredible. And with the team sort of built around her, uh, that's when she thrives the most. I think that's why she I was about to say she underwhelmed at Chelsea. That's far from the truth. I think she was exceptional at Chelsea and papered over a lot of issues when other players are absent and things like that. But um, 
I think she thrives is the better way of putting it when when she is the center of a team and she is the center of that team and there are just about enough good players you know Cena Bruner's another one around her that can make it so that they almost I suppose help her into the knockout stages I mean then anything can happen but like, I can't see them really doing particularly well in the knockout stages but um when the level was stepped up a gear but I'm just excited to see her in the World Cup at that level. Robin, Marva mentioned Arsenal's Catherine Cool. She's just been brilliant every time we've we've seen her this season. And of course, rising star Josephine Hasbo as well. What do we know about her? Again, she's she not got many caps, nine, just one sub-appearance in the qualifiers. But yeah, again, just, just these... Um, these Scandi teams, they just know how to play football. They're just so good and they just seem to keep producing even though they've got, you know, such a shallow pool really compared to most other countries. Um, though she, she looks great and just 21 years old. Catherine Cool, 20 years old. I thought she looked very raw for the Arsenal, you know, occasionally not making the right decision, but clearly exceptionally talented. Um, and then Sinja Bruin, who kind of... For WSL fans, we kind of, she signed for Man United and barely played. I think she got COVID and it just didn't really work out for her. But she's just signed for Real Madrid from Lyon and she scored 13 in the qualifiers. And I think she could be a sort of good foil for Harder, who, by the way, I think is going to be scary. She's going to be scary in this tournament because she came back looking scary for Chelsea. And I think that actually, like a lot of players who are out for a long time, you kind of get rid of the niggles. So she had a kind of enforced rest and then she came back, you know, she got a decent amount of game time under her belt just towards the end of the season, set up Sam Kerr's winner in the final. So she's like peak condition. I think, I mean, I'm going to put my neck on the line here, like just because of the opposition in the group stages, she could like win the golden boot maybe just in the group stages. <laughs> oh, wow. You never know. Because she is, she is absolutely clinical and she just looks in, as I say, probably the form of her life. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. We definitely need Millie Bright back in defence because oh, who yes. knows who how Panilla Harder <laughs> plays better than Millie Bright, I would say. Um, last but not least, it's China, Tuesday the 1st of August, that match. I think that's a midday kickoff, which is quite nice for UK fans. Could they be dark horses? I mean, you've all kind of mentioned them that actually they are a bit of a threat. They won the Asian Cup back in 2022. They've got Racing Louisville's Wang Shuang, who's a prolific goal scorer for her country. And it, it sounds as if they've got ambitions. I mean, every team is going to have ambitions, surely, to get through the group anyway. But their coach, Shui Jingjia, I hope I've pronounced that right. I'm going to uh, to Robin for, for that kind of pronunciation, who's looking at me shrugging her shoulders anyway. So <laughs> come the 1st of August, I hope we all know the memo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still waiting for that memo. Um, so I'm not going to <laughs> not going to try. But I, I agree. I think China. I think it's going to be between China and Denmark because she's come in the new coach. They had a pretty humiliating Olympics, if you remember. Had some really heavy defeats. Was it eight two to the Netherlands? I mean, that is not good. And then four all with Zambia. They changed coach. She's an absolute legend of the game. She won loads of Asian Cups as as a player. In fact, I think her record is she's never lost when she's been a player or a manager now. As a, yeah, so she's she's like, okay, I know what I'm doing. It's business time here. And so I think they could be very, very dangerous. I know this a long time ago, but I remember I did their opening game against Germany in 2019. Everyone thought, well, this is going to be a foregone conclusion. They were excellent. They're physical. They're technically good. They just couldn't score. That was the problem then anyway. So we'll have to wait and see if that's kind of been improved upon. But I, I'm, I think they could be, they, they could pip whoever comes second. They, they're definitely contenders for second, I think. Yeah, OK. So it looks like uh, England's group is going to be pretty tight, actually. So we need them to to do well. And we know that they were slow starters, as you've all mentioned. So let's see how that group goes. Uh, let's move on to Group B, uh, described by some as the group of death. There's always one. Katie McCabe and the Republic of Ireland are going to be facing hosts Australia on Thursday, a historic qualification for Vera Powell's side, competing at a major tournament for the first time in their history. But it's certainly going to be an uphill battle for them in a very tricky group, Susie. Uh, before we get into the group, what on earth happened in their behind-closed-doors match against Colombia? Lord knows. I mean, we were 
you know, sat in a bar in the Sunshine Coast, um, having just filed everything. And then all of a sudden, these uh, reports of what's been happening down the coast a little bit (laughs) come in. But yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like, I don't really understand how it's reached that stage where the game gets called off 20 minutes in because it's overly physical, which is what was quoted by the um, Island comms team as being the the reason that it was called off and the, the team um, stopped it. But yeah, Denise O'Sullivan, their striker, their star striker, was rushed to hospital with a bad shin injury. And that, that was the trigger for them sort of pulling out, but also that there had been a series of tackles, two yellow cards in the first 20 minutes. In a behind-closed-door friendly, you've got to think that it's going to take a lot to get a yellow card in the first place. But, you know, the Colombians have, you know, disputed it a little bit, have bitten back, um, released some of the footage of that challenge, which looks bad, but not, you know, necessarily too heavy. But it's very hard to know unless you've watched the 20 minutes and the press weren't allowed into the game. Ireland had said they could go in, but then Colombia said they didn't want press there. So there were no media in the game. So it's hard to really judge the situation totally fairly. But as you know, we all know, we all know Katie McCabe, we all know Louise Quinn, we all know some of these island players and how how they can take a hit. Like, you know, we watched Katie McCabe go off on crutches from the Emirates and then be back there the following week with a hole in her boot from a stud challenge. They're tough. So if they think that it was too much, then it must have been pretty bad, surely. That's that's the only conclusion I can, like, make right in my head like I can't see them pulling out of a game unless it was particularly bad which is really disappointing I've heard a few people who have watched Columbia play recently say that they are a very 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 physical team it must have been pretty bad to result in that because I've never heard of that happening before and it's a very strange turn of events but I mean potentially the correct decision if you know you're days out from your first game and you don't want to risk anything like uh, maybe there becomes a point where you do make that decision yeah, absolutely. They've got some good players, uh, Republic of Ireland, actually. You know, mentioned Katie McCabe there, Arsenal's player of the year. Uh, she's, you know, a prime really at 27 now. Courtney Brosnan as well. Loves keeping a clean sheet. I kind of feel like they can make their mark, Marva. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously I've seen Brosnan quite a bit this this season um, and she's really, really impressed. It's, it's been like to have two goalkeepers for us has been massively important and um Brosnan at, at times was sort of kept out of the team a little bit. And then every time she came back, just put on an incredible performance and, and gave manager really something to think about. And I think, you know, going into a World Cup and a World Cup of such significance for for Ireland, it's it's so important to have some key players like that, having a McCabe, having a Brosnan, because, I mean, we've seen it at, at previous World Cups, you know, it, it can only take kind of one little weak link that, that really affects it. And I think to have such a strong goalkeeper that obviously I'm very biased about, but um, yeah, it'll be, it's really exciting for them and, and it's great to see. Obviously, Ireland fans are, are properly up for it, which is amazing. Um, and I'm excited to see what they can do because I think it's, it's a tough group, but it's one of those with a lot of kind of question marks hanging around it. Obviously, unfortunate question marks and question marks that shouldn't be there in terms of Canada and, and Nigeria and everything that they've been fighting for. But when it's like that, it means you don't really know what's going to happen with, with some of these teams, what kind of preparation they've had and what they're going to be like going into it because they haven't had the preparation that they deserve. So it's a tough group and I think Australia are going to win it. But I think the the second place is really up for grabs between between all three of them. It's going to be fascinating. Another really tight group. But Susie, out in Australia, have you kind of gauged how much pressure the co-hosts are under? Because it feels as if they're throwing everything at the Matildas going all the way here. Yeah, but I think it's also tempered by the fact that there's everyone knows, right, like that they're not the best team in the world on paper. They've got a phenomenally good team. Expectations are high. There's a feeling that this is a bit of a golden generation coming to fruition at exactly the right time. They're really happy with Tony Gustafsson and what he's done there after a bit of a slow start to his tenure. Everyone knows that the US, the Germany, the England, the Swedens, you know, that they're the France, that they're Spain, that they're all there and could easily beat Australia. But I think there is this like underneath that, this sort of like hidden not quite so hidden belief that there that something magical could happen and that's what's quite exciting is there's I think expectations are tempered by the knowledge that there are those other teams 
there that are far more experienced than them in this space and in the later stages of knockout tournaments and things like that but a real real belief that something magical could take place and that sort of rumbling under the surface really satisfyingly and the atmosphere here is brilliant like there's you know there's posters up at the airports there's advertising all over the place it's a very different vibe to France like you know there's a tournament happening here people are talking about it cab drivers were telling us excitedly that England was staying down the road at the Sunshine Coast they had 3,000 fans watching England train um, on the Sunshine Coast like that's unheard of Ireland had a lot of fans watching them train as well. There's going to be huge, a huge, huge number of Irish fans, expats at that Australia game as well. And I think there's, yeah, there is, in a way it's nicer than the Euros or, you know, some of these other tournaments where you've had a favourite that's very clear as the host and stuff and, and you, you know, the expectations are high and if you don't win it, it's going to be a failure. I don't think there's that quite that same. If they don't win it, it's not going to be viewed as a failure. But there is this, like, buzz of we, we could actually do this. And that's what's really exciting is it's this buzz that doesn't have any sort of, you know, fear behind it or, yeah, there's no way this is going to be... I mean, unless they, like, crashed out of the groups or something like that, but, it, like unlikely but if they lost to an England in the last 16 or whatever I don't think there's going to be there'd be disappointment but I I don't think the expectations are really really high on them winning for it to be a disappointment if they don't win but they could yeah it's exciting and uh, Marva mentioned Robin the, the struggles that both Canada and Nigeria have had to go through let's quickly look at the Olympic champions are they being talked about as serious enough contenders here? Obviously, Bev Priestman, who was number two to Phil Neville at England in 2019, is is in charge of them and has been for a little while now. But there's been so much going on off the field. Is that too much of a distraction? They've still got you know a squad stacked with big tournament experience and defensively strong as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they're very pragmatic, and they they are a really good tournament team. You know, let's not forget they, they you know they won the Olympics a couple of summers ago, and that was basically through being very very difficult to score against, which is how you win tournaments. You need to be defensively solid. I mean, your question about is this too much of a distraction? That's going to be the big thing. Let's not forget. I mean, I think it's it's easier to name the teams in this tournament who don't have something going on in the background. Let's not forget England's also have something going on with the FA and their bonuses. So it's just who can put this aside and kind of get on with the job. And I wouldn't blame any of them if it does become a distraction because it's not fair. It's just not fair that they have to contend with things other than the football. I still think Canada will do well. I think they'll get through this group. But yeah, I think they probably do have a ceiling because of all this stuff that's going on with the, with the Federation. They're clearly not being supported enough. It's, it's not good enough, but they are extremely talented. And I would absolutely love Christine Sinclair to score, you know, 40 years old, you know, it's <laughs> still going strong. She probably won't, you know, play a whole 90 minutes, but she's clinical. And so she's someone to look out for. But then they also have, you know, they have incredible pace. And yeah, just a great team. We've seen Jesse Fleming is the one I think that Canada fans have their hopes pinned on to kind of pull the strings and um, and make the difference. But um, yeah, I'm very interested to see how they do. Bev Priestman's clearly a very good coach. But as I said, yeah, uh, it's almost like not a level playing field, is it? No. Because it's just so many, as you said, distractions. Yeah, there absolutely are. And, and same again for Nigeria. You know, they failed to win the Women's African Cup of Nations. Ongoing issue for them off the field around unpaid bonuses as well, Marva. But they do have a superstar goal scorer, five-time African Footballer of the Year and Champions League winner, Asisa Oshala. And she leads the line for them. And obviously, they can ask questions of some teams. Oh, definitely. I mean, having, you know, a world-class striker is always helpful at a World Cup. My only thing with Oshwala is I think, I mean, I think she's incredible, but she's obviously not going to be getting the same service that she gets at Barcelona. And against teams like, like we've said, Canada, who, you know, can play a very sort of low block and, and be hard to to break through, whether she's going to have that same kind of success as, as we see in domestic football, I'm not too sure, but it doesn't hurt to have a, a Barcelona striker in your team. What's interesting for me is that they've scored, I think it's six goals in their last three games and she's only scored one of them. So it's not like there's she's the only threat for them. I mean, yes, they played New Zealand, Haiti and Costa Rica, who aren't necessarily the most challenging teams that they're going to face in the tournament. But 
still there, there's goals from other places that show that they can cause a threat. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Quick look at Group A, co-hosts New Zealand, joined by former champions Norway. That's the opening hand of the tournament on Thursday, completing the group. Debutants, the Philippines and a talented Switzerland side as well. Uh, New Zealand have promised so much, haven't they? Never made it out of the group stages in their five previous World Cup appearances. They've not scored either. And it feels as if they've got a bit of an uphill battle, Susie, to try and make it six time lucky. Yeah, it's going to be really, really difficult for them. Um, You'd like to see them get out of the group. But even that, I think, is going to be a struggle with Norway and Switzerland in there. There's only so much home advantage can help you, right? And they haven't got the most impressive team in the world. You know, they've got the odd player here and there. You know, we we see a few of them in England. Obviously, Annalise, the goalkeeper. Rhea Percival at Spurs. You know, we've seen a few, but... They've not got a standout superstar in the same way that some of the other smaller teams have, the way that Nigeria have Oshawala, you know. So I think they're going to find it really difficult whether being at home can fuel them up a little bit beyond ability and expectation is is the question. But I think getting out of the group is actually going to be really, really difficult for them. Yeah, particularly because Norway seem to be the clear favourites in this group, Robin. Uh, Arda Hegerberg, obviously, injury hit season at Lyon, but is always a threat. We know how dangerous Barcelona's Caroline Graham Hansen is as well. And of course, we all absolutely love Guru Wrighton on this pod and what she's done at Chelsea over the years as well. Uh, she actually described her own team as difficult and annoying to play against, just like we want to be. I mean, we didn't see that in the Euros, did we, in that 8-0 defeat to England? But let's just, let's just park that because I think it was a, a one-off. Um, Namati has, uh, has sent us a message on Twitter asking what we make of Norway's chances. It's a difficult one because as you said, that front three is probably the best in the tournament on, on paper. It, that is frightening, isn't it? But they just don't seem to click at all. And they have some making up to do, as you say. You know, they, they've had a couple of really really terrible tournaments. So yeah, I think that, you know, they, they should top the group here, but we need to see them perform a bit better, I think. We need to see, you know, the the talent that they clearly have in this squad. And um, I mean, in terms of New Zealand, I'm doing that opening game and I think they're going to be up against it. They haven't actually won a game at the World Cup at all um, in their history. So I think they're targeting the Philippines game where at least they might be able to do that. But I think they're all they're all very excited about being able to play. They said they just don't really play in front of their home fans like ever really um because they're always traveling because New Zealand's just too far from anywhere else so so I think it's just it's going to be very special for them in that opening game yeah I spoke to Ada Hagerberg last week and they as you can imagine desperately want to put on a better showing than they did at the Euros like they are really fired up for that they feel like they owe their country that not just their fans they feel they really feel that they owe their family their friends that travel to the euros and aren't can't necessarily travel to this tournament they owe them a good tournament and the key she was saying is learning to focus on the team and play together as a team and then the individual performances will arise from that but they've got to really focus on the teamwork and defending as a team um, and that's where it fell apart for them at the euros we talk about the forward line, but that midfield as well. I mean, Ingrid Engen, Frieda Marnham and Guru Wrighton. I mean, who wouldn't want that midfield, let alone the forward line? Even, you know, Barisa, who we've not seen a huge amount at Man United, but we all know is hugely talented. Uh, Julia Blackstad, like they've got a really like, even their bench <laughs> is really, really decent. So it really is the defence, which is where they sort of fell apart in the Euros that is a big problem. So defending as a team is going to be key, but the big, big gain is got, has got to be Marimielda being fit and ready for this tournament because obviously she hadn't played a huge amount of football going into the Euros. And now she's had a season under her belt with a decent amount of minutes, given the injuries that Chelsea have had at the back and, and things like that. So for me, that's going to be hugely important. And that is going to be potentially the difference between them having a great tournament or a bad tournament. A big gain as well for, for the Swiss, Marva, is that Captain Leah Volti's going to be fit. Obviously, she missed the end of the WSL season with Arsenal with an ankle injury. They've got plenty of other familiar faces in the squad as well. England have played them uh, recently in their warm-ups to the European Championships as well. Are you expecting good things from them? 
I am actually, and I think it's it's a good group for them. Obviously, with with New Zealand being the host, so you kind of get that sort of slight pass as well. Yeah, obviously, Volti being back is going to be it's huge, but also like getting Lehman back now. I thought Backman had a really good Euros. I thought she kind of just like stepped up to the plate and really sort of carried her team through. So they've got some good attacking talent there, and. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be exciting to see. I think it was very worrying to see Walter go down with that injury. But I think if, if they can get her through, I think their the round of 16 isn't the easiest draw. But um, getting through, if they come second, I think will still be a decent tournament for them. Right, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll take a closer look at all the other groups. And it would be remiss of us not to throw in some wild, usually wrong, let's be honest, Guardian Women's Football Weekly predictions your way. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Right, Group C pits 2011 world champions Japan against Spain, Costa Rica and debutantes Zambia. Susie, we've covered the upheaval for Jorge Vilda's Spain on the pod in recent months. 15 players, of course, turning their back on the national side late last year in protest of Vilda and his backroom staff. They have been boosted by the return of three of their key players. So Mariona Caldente, Ona Bacha and Aitana Bonmati. They're still clear favourites, obviously, to finish top of Group C. But how far exactly can they go, bearing in mind all the issues that they've had? I mean... (laughs) frustratingly phenomenally far because they've done incredibly well even with the absence of those players so you know potentially all the way they've got Puteus back obviously having been out injured with her ACL injury although she's been training separately we don't know you know just how ready she is to come back into the side but the younger players and the you know the the sort of more fringe players that have been called in 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 place of the the main cohort that ruled themselves out have done really, really well. And that, I mean, it's frustrating because, you know, I don't think the Federation deserves to have a team that does well after the way they've treated the players. But I think they'll be very, very, very strong. They're up against Japan, Robin, whose current crop, I think it's fair to say, haven't quite been able to reach the heights of the previous decade. I mean, they won the 2011 World Cup in Germany. They got silver at the London Olympics in 2012, runners-up at the 2015 World Cup in Canada, but they didn't even get to the quarterfinals in in 2019. So it feels as if maybe there's a li- little bit of pressure on Japan. Yeah, perhaps. And um, yeah, I think they have disappointed in the last few tournaments, but these things are cyclical. I still love watching Japan. They're always just so easy on the eye, telepathic, passing. They just know where everyone is. But yeah, they just... I don't know, just a little bit lightweight, perhaps. So I, I, I mean, I'm not even sure they're going to get out of this group, to be honest, because I think Zambia are going to cause some problems. They're going to be fun. Again, horrific things going on in the background for them. But I think we all probably saw Barbara Vander up against Germany in that friendly. Oh, I mean, she's going to be, again, she absolutely lit up the stage at the Olympics. Can't wait to see what she can do again. I just think she can just bulldoze her way through and also this the delicate finishes she's she's got everything so honestly think they could they can cause some problems i'm doing spain costa rica and i think costa rica are going to be up against it great they've reached the world cup again um they didn't manage to get there in 2019 so it's the first one since 2015 but um very young squads and it's i think for them just getting to the world cup is the kind of the big prize I'm covering that game as well, so I'm going to share commentary notes with you nearer the time. I'm going to be picking your brain. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, Marva? Robin has mentioned both there. Costa Rica playing at a World Cup for the second time in their history. Hailed as the best generation yet. They kind of cruised through CONCACAF qualifying as well and eventually were beaten by the USA in the semi-finals. Zambia, the lowest ranked side in the competition, but... As Robin said, that amazing 3-2 win over Germany and the build-up to this tournament was just absolutely wonderful. But the allegations of sexual misconduct against their head coach, Bruce Mwape, obviously have a very dark cloud over them. It's maybe too much of an uphill battle, would you say, for both of these sides? Or, or, or do you think they could do something special? 
I think Zambia could do something special. Um, not only did they they beat Germany, they also drew to Switzerland. Um, and we saw in the Olympics as well what what Barbara Branda can do. And I just think like that level of quality, the way she scored that third goal against Germany, it was not even one v one really. It was like. A lot of strikers would not score that ever because she needed the pace to get through and then needed the finish from that far out because if she didn't shoot from there, she wouldn't have scored. The, the defender would have caught up. That level of quality can just get you through a group stage. So I would I would love to see it. I really would. I think it, it would be so, so big for, for African women's football to have a, a story like this. So I'm I'm really rooting for them. And it's just, it's just gutting that there are so many horrible stories you know clouding so many of these teams and it's it's whether it's sexual misconduct whether it's not treating the players correctly whether it's facilities and it's just like this should be the biggest tournament ever and it is and and the level that everyone's sort of getting to now is incredible in terms of I don't think we're going to see as many batterings in, in this tournament but it's just such a shame that this is clouding over so many teams. I think once the football starts you know it's going to be brilliant to be able to focus on that but what I'm going to love about the football starting is that it's also going to give a voice to some of those countries whose stories haven't actually had a chance to to be out there in the main public domain and I think it's going to be really important and I feel as if a lot of teams are going to have the opportunity on the biggest world stage which I think we now all agree you know this is likely to be the biggest women's world cup in fact Susie said it in in the preview supplement for the guardian exactly that same thing they've got a stage and a platform in order to to tell people what's been going on and and push for change uh, let's move into group e um defending world champions the united states face the netherlands and first time as vietnam and Portugal, who we've obviously seen recently in that goalless draw against England. But let's focus on the US, shall we? Vlatko and Donovsky's side making history potentially if they win their third consecutive title. I mean, look, you ne- never, ever, ever write off the US, I would say. But actually, for other teams, not if you're a US, US fan listening to this right now, 14 of the 23 players in this squad are actually featuring at this level for the first time. Obviously, no Becky Sauerbrunn, uh, captain is out injured, uh, no Mallory Swanson, Katerina Macario or Sam Mewis. And the question marks, as, as you would think in terms of these older players, from those stalwarts, Rose Lavelle, Julia and, and Megan Rapino, a bit of a concern. But despite all of that, they're still the favourites, Susie, surely. 100%. I mean, I find it impossible to look past them at any point. They could field a team of entirely uh, debutantes to the side and I would still think that they could win the tournament because they they build a culture in the States that is just unrivaled anywhere and you look at the freedom and the the tenacity that the likes of Trinity Rodman and Sophia Smith and Alessa Thompson and stuff are playing with and it's just beautiful to watch they're so so good they're going to run absolute riot at this World Cup I feel like this is going to be the like you're not going to win anything with kids moment um, for the US um, and then they're going to fly them to the title. I like genuinely think that that is a very, very realistic possibility. They're so strong. But then also just the level of detail that goes into their preparation for this tournament behind the scenes as well. I was reading a piece by Jeff Kasuf, who's covering the US uh, for The Guardian out in New Zealand, but he has his own website, Equalised Soccer, and he's put an article up there today that is about how for the first time at the World Cup, they've got base camps set by FIFA and the US weren't happy with the options available. So they built a second pitch at their base camp and built another gym and brought in temporary buildings for offices and meeting rooms and things like that to enhance the facilities that FIFA had, uh, you know, sort of put on a list for them to pick from. And like just that level of preparation to literally over 18 months to build a new pitch alongside the one that's there to enhance your preparations. You know, we talk about teams who have got their minds elsewhere on, you know, pay disputes and things like that. The US don't, I mean, obviously they always are fighting for more in various ways, but they are being groomed for success from almost the moment they step onto a pitch. And it's, it's an unbeatable program, really. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, Susie. I, I'm I'm always excited to watch the USA and even more so in this tournament as they kind of start their 
evolution, revolution, evolution, evolution, I think is the word I'm I'm looking for. The Netherlands are under a little bit of a, an evolution themselves, bit of a mess under Mark Parsons, weren't they, at Euro 2022. But Andries Jonker has been credited with revitalising the team. We know that obviously they're without Viv Miedemar because of that ACL injury, but still a squad stack full of talent, Robin. Yeah, and, and one that's obviously had a lot of success under Serena Wiegmann in recent tournaments. They really don't, you know, they're not exactly veterans of the tournament. It's only their third World Cup, but obviously last time they reached the finals. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, the vibes were not good at the Euros, as you mentioned. Andries Jonkers seems to have um, managed to uh, get that back a bit. Seemed like Mark Parsons was playing a lot of players in positions they didn't really want to play in. So that's obviously not a great start. Um, so, yeah, I think... They should do well. Obviously, that game against um, the USA in this group is going to be the the real tasty one. And yeah, I think, unfortunately, we might get it. Was the USA beat Thailand, was it 13-0 last time in 2019? Is that right? I think, unfortunately, yeah. I think just looking at Vietnam and their, some of their warm-up games and stuff, we could possibly see another one of that. I don't want to, but I fear that might this might be the kind of into double figures, perhaps. We might not see that against Portugal. I thought they defended really well against England in their warm-up game at, at MK Dons. Oh, I think Portugal would actually do quite well. And they were they were the real vibes team at the Euros. They were great, great to watch. Um, again, I think I think they have a chance, you know, uh, uh, probably will be the USA-Netherlands, but they can certainly put a spanner in the works. First World Cup, longest serving manager in Francisco Neto. Um, he seems to really, he's built them up and... Again, as we saw, as you say, against England, defensively great. And they've got some uh, quite dangerous players. Remember at the Euros, they, they played the Netherlands. They were 2-0 down. They got it back to 2-all and lost 3-2. So if they're, you know, they, they could be the entertainers again. Yeah, speaking of dangerous players, we have plenty of them in Group F. Sees former finalists Brazil go up against Irv Renard's France, the reggae girls Jamaica and debutantes Panama as well. And just like in Group E, two big hitters with France and Brazil, the clear favourites to progress to the knockout stages. So, I mean, this is a really tapping, tapping answer for you, Marva. Will Renard be more popular with his players than Karine Diacra was? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. <laughs> I think the lowest bar of all time, really, that he has to overcome. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about France, actually, because I think um, if we're talking about kind of good vibes with Portugal, I thought despite what was happening off the pitch, France in that, that first half against Italy in the Euros was like the most amazing thing. And it was like, this team is incredible. And I know they're missing Katoto and everything, but... Um, their raw talent in there is incredible anyway. And now they have a manager who knows what it is to win international tournaments. And you think, actually, they could go really, really far in this tournament. They're on the hard side of the draw as well. So they've got they've got some tough games wherever they get through as first place or second place. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about France. And actually, France beat Brazil in the previous World Cup. So, you know, I don't think it's clear cut that Brazil are going to win this one. I think it's going to be a really interesting group. Jamaica again, obviously, we've got more issues off the pitch. Surprise, surprise. But um, yeah, a really exciting group, this one. I think it's just like a lot of exciting scoring players, which is what you love to see at World Cup. Yeah, I feel like it could be a high scoring group, that's for sure. And uh, obviously, we, we waxed lyrical about Brazil in the finalissima, didn't we, at Wembley, beaten only on penalties in the end back in March, Susie. We didn't see Marta, who obviously has got through some some tough injury problems but she is likely to feature in her sixth world cup but they showed some real flair didn't they at uh, at Wembley and I, I think there's there's plenty of reasons for Brazil fans to be excited ahead of this tournament they're so well organized they're just a really well coached team and then have some just absolute superstar players within there I mean we've all seen week in week out what Raffaele can do at centre back and I think that's a really important position for them but even you know Carolyn um, North Carolina Courage she's phenomenally brilliant midfielder Anna Borges Dabina like I mean I think whether Marta plays or not is sort of somewhat irrelevant in in a sense in that you know I think she'll very much be the Christian Sinclair of the Brazil team being sort of quite talismanic in uh, in presence but it's a real I think it's a team that's ready to make a statement, you know, one that's not necessarily 
done particularly well on the biggest stages but suddenly has this generation coming through that are starting to find their feet and age-wise are you know sort of reaching a lot of their peaks so it's a real nice mixture of young and and sort of experienced that I think could do really really well and I I'm very worried for Panama yeah I'd be worried if I was Panama (laughs) up against these teams because of course the Jamaica team has Bunny Shaw leading the line and Marva mentioned the problems that they've had off the field as well Robin but you know she's had such an impressive WSL season they could do something quite special and they'll certainly be a delight to watch even if they can't quite overcome France and Brazil. Yeah, I was slightly disappointed in them actually in the previous World Cup because they promised quite a lot. But I think Bunny Shaw's got even better. She's obviously the sort of focal point, but they've got some, you know, got some really um, exciting other players around her. And of course, you've got your uh, Drew Spence uh, who switched allegiances, um, Becky Spencer as well. So um, a couple of familiar um, names for the WSL. And yeah, I just, I just hope they deliver a little bit more. But she's obviously going to be the the focal point, and you know, she scores the goals, but she also can drop deep and link the play. So yeah, well, again, just hope she has a great tournament. Yeah, fingers crossed. Right, two more groups to go through. Let's take a quick look at Group G. 2019 semi-finalist Sweden will be alongside Italy, Argentina and South Africa. Uh, the Swedes are ranked third in the world, Susie. They were disappointing against England, I, I thought, in the Euro 2022 quarterfinals. Can you see Peter Gerhardt's side having any problems cruising through to the knockouts here? I can't see them having problems getting to knockouts. I see them having problems beyond the group. Very talented squad, lots of good players. But I do feel like they've almost missed their opportunity to win on the biggest stage. Um, and I think they're in a little bit of a period of... Transition's probably not the right word because they've got a lot of players at their peak, but they've not necessarily got the the experience together that is going to be enough to do something special in this competition for me. Like, I feel like they should have won the Olympics and obviously did very, very well at the World Cup in 2019. And I feel like they were there, like golden generation in their peak sort of times. And that has just tipped over a little bit. So they're sort of waiting for the newer generation to step up to the plate. That could happen in this tournament. We know how good the likes of Rolfo and, you know, Jacobson and Blackstenius. We know how great they all are, Aslani. But I just feel like they're not quite at the same level as the other teams that are going to be in the knockout stage, particularly in the, like from the quarterfinal stage onwards. Um, I just feel like they, they sort of missed their opportunity to, to really do something quite special at a major international tournament in recent years. If they do progress, Robin, who's going to join them? Italy obviously had really disappointing Euros, but we know Milena Bertolini can get good things out of this side. They did make it to the quarterfinals in, in 2019. Well, that's the thing. Are we going to see the 2019 or are we going to see the, the Euros sort of... Uh... Italy. She's under a lot of pressure, you feel, um, the manager, because it was a it was a dreadful tournament, starting off with that massive defeat to France um in the opening game. I mean, on paper they should get through, but as I say, it's difficult to see what sort of state they're gonna be in. She made some big calls in terms of the selection, um, leaving out the captain Sarah Gamma and also Aurora Galley um as well. So it's kind of like pretty much the old guard, apart from this 16-year-old Julia Dragoni, who signed for Barcelona in January and won won the sort of B title with them. Um, so she's clearly a real hot prospect. But how much time on the pitch we're going to see at the World Cup, we'll have to wait. So yeah, as I say, for me, I just it could go either way. If they don't have a good tournament, we might see the end of Milena Bertolini and her beautifully tailored blazers. Oh, what a shame. The most immaculately Mm. dressed woman. Uh, Last but not least, Euro 2022 runners-up and two-time champions Germany have Morocco, Colombia and South Korea for company in Group H. And and like with Sweden, it feels as if the Germans are clear favourites to progress, Marva. 
Yeah, definitely. I think they've also, you could see it on their faces after that Euros final, they've got a point to prove with this World Cup. And and not only in terms of sort of motivation, I think their, their squad is is really up there. I think they were, obviously it was unlucky that, that Pop couldn't play in that final, but Schürrle is on incredible form. Um, and I just think they've got actually probably one of the strongest teams to, to go up against the USA. I think if any team is going to do it, they're definitely up there with maybe England and, and if one or two others. But I was expecting a very, very strong tournament from Germany. Obviously, that game against Zambia maybe put a bit of doubt in all of our minds, but you can never really tell on a sort of pre-tournament friendly. So we'll see. But I think this group should be a walking apart for them. Some really other great stories actually in this group, including Tottenham striker Rosella Ayan scored seven goals in her 15 games for Morocco since switching her international allegiance from England. South Korea side managed by an Englishman, Colin Bell, who's got a fascinating background as well. Susie, who's going to be the, the best of the rest? That's a good question. I'm really stuck with this group. I really think it's very, very open. My head says South Korea, but I actually think one of the others could do something a little bit special here. As long as Colombia don't get four players sent off. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's an issue. <laughs> um, but no, I, I do genuinely think that there is a real chance for a country that is, you know, not, not necessarily expected to do too much to really make a statement in that group and explode women's football in their country as a result as well. Like, I really think it's it's quite nice when you get a group that falls this way where there's a little bit of an opening for it not to be quite so obvious who's going to finish second. South Korea is the logical choice, but I, I do think something could happen here. Yeah, I think so as well. But, you know, Germany, I think, are going to progress quite straightforward. And then potentially, if England get through both the group and... Then the last 16, they could meet in the quarterfinals, uh, which would be fascinating. OK, listen, you may all laugh at all of our predictions. It may become a running joke, as it has been for the last year or so on the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. But we're going to give them anyway. And then you can all say, I told you so, uh, when the tournament finishes in mid-August. So I'm going to start with you, Marva. How far do England go? Uh, I'm going to say semi-finals. Okay. Robin? Who's got the best coach in the tournament, eh? <laughs> All the way. Love it! Vigman we trust. Love it. Susie? Quarterfinals. Ooh, out to Germany. In the spirit of my predictions always being wrong, but uh, that is mm. my genuine, very, very big concern. Okay, I'm going to go as an eternal optimist with Robin and say all the way for England. And I really hope we're right. And I really hope, bearing in mind that she's always wrong, bar maybe once, Susie Rack is incorrect this time round. So that means that me and Robin potentially think that England could win it. Are you going to go that far, Robin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Wiegmann. we got Wiegmann. Yeah. Okay, so am I. Uh, Vlatko, Wiegmann beats you at chess. Yeah. England winners against USA in the final for me. Marva? Um, I'm going to say USA Germany. And who wins it? USA. <laughs> Susie? I'm going to say USA win a third title. Back to back. Wow. Okay. Okay. Back to back to back. Navdeep wants to know, do you think any unfancied team is going to surprise everyone at the World Cup? So here is your chance to answer your dark horses, Marva. It's hard to say what a dark horse is. I'd say maybe like France, just in the sense that it's been, you know, they've had such a bad time of it at the World Cup. So I'll say them, but do they even count as a dark horse? I don't, I don't really know. I'm not having France. <laughs> I'm having France the dark no horse. No way. In no terms way. of actually like winning it though, or like going to the final, that would be a surprise. Just upsetting, just upsetting a few people, Oh, just upsetting I a few. Um, Zambia then. Mm. Okay, Susie? So the reason I said US to win is because my dark horses which isn't that dark, is Australia. I, I genuinely think they could win this tournament. I really, really do. And I think it could be like Sam Kerr backflip in the final and it revolutionises football in Australia. And yeah, I, I genuinely, genuinely believe that could happen. I think they've got the squad around Sam Kerr that can do some real, real damage. They've got the player who can make the difference in the toughest of situations. We saw it 
at the Olympics against Team GB, just how like how how battling they can be. And then now they've got, you know, players in top form like Caitlin Ford and stuff. And I just, yeah, Mary Fowler, you name it. They're my not so dark horses, but I genuinely think they could win it. Australia are my dark horses as well, even though they wear green and gold and are very bright. Uh, they are definitely my dark horses. Robin? Again, I'm not sure they're dark enough <laughs> for me, but I'm going to say Norway are going to turn up for once and go quite far. That's what I'll say. Not sure how, but I think they'll go. Yeah, they'll actually perform. Norway were on my list as well, but they were on my list in the Euros as well. I don't know what happened there. Uh, <laughs> uh, golden boot winner, Marva. Uh, Sophia Smith. Robin? Sam Kerr. Susie? Sam Kerr, yeah. Rachel Daly, for me. England all the way. Love it. England all the way. Uh, Right, what say you? Tell us what your predictions are. How do you think we've done? Rub it in our faces at the end of the tournament. Why don't you? We're here for the whole thing. Uh, We will be back on Friday to round up the first set of fixtures at the World Cup. Probably take the mickey out of the opening ceremony as well, because let's face it, they're always a little bit weird, aren't they? (laughs) Um, Right, Susie Rack, go get some sleep. Yeah, it's bedtime for me. But I'm also really annoyed that I just said Sam Kerr when it's going to be Alex Morgan scoring like 20 goals against Vietnam, isn't it? Like, let's be real. Uh, yeah. Too late, mate. Too late. Uh, Marva Creel, enjoy your photo shoot today. Thank you. Thank you. See you throughout the tournament. Robin Cowan, I cannot get that image of Matt Damon out of my head now and, and you surrounded by figures. I'll be in touch to share some comms notes. I'll see you soon. Excellent. Thanks, Faye. As I say, we'll be back on Friday. And remember, you can also keep in touch throughout the tournament by emailing womensfootballweekly at theguardian.com and plenty for you to take a look at across The Guardian leading up to the tournament. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel. With its incredible camera and AI-powered technology, Google Pixel is bringing fans closer to the game this summer. Search Google Store to find out more. This is The Guardian. 